Hello, my name is Patricia Galvantelos. I am currently a member of the United Nations International Law Commission, Professor of International Law at the Autonomous University of Lisbon, and Senior Legal Consultant at the Department of Legal Affairs of the Portuguese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I am delighted to have been invited to participate in the United Nations Audiovisual Library of International Law Lecture Series. The title of my lecture is Obligations and Rights Ergo Omnes in the Case Law of the International Court of Justice. The concept of Ergo Omnes, in particular of Obligations Ergo Omnes, is by now well known in international law. It is strongly linked to the case law of the ICJ, since it first appeared in an obitur dictum in the Barcelona Traction case in 1970. The ICJ case law since that instance has helped to clarify the concept. Academic writings are also abundant on the matter, but for this lecture's purpose, we would like to concentrate on the case law of the ICJ. When appropriate, reference will be made to the relevant works of the International Law Commission and of the Institut de Droit International. I first became interested in the subject of Erga Omnes some 25 years ago in the context of the East Timor case between Portugal and Australia before the ICJ, which I had the privilege to follow closely. The Erga Omnes concept played an important role in the pleadings of Portugal before the court. And alongside with the Barcelona traction, the East Timor case is often quoted as part of the fundamental case law of the court regarding this subject. What we propose to do in the next 35 minutes or so is to see how the Erga Omnis concept was initially envisaged by the ICJ and how did the subsequent jurisprudence until today complemented such initial pronouncements in the Barcelona traction and in the East Timor cases? We shall proceed in the following manner. First, we will revisit the case law of the ICJ in order to assess the exact content of the Ergonomous concept in its dual dimension of obligations and rights. Second, we will discuss what are the interests protected by the Ergo Omnes concept as identified by the court? And third, we shall discuss the implications of the Ergo Omnes concept as set out by the court with regard to its own jurisdiction. At the end, we will present some conclusions on the current state of play regarding the case law of the ICJ on the issue of obligations and rights ergonomics. So let us start by revisiting the case law of the ICJ in order to assess where and how the court was referring to each of the ergonomics dimensions, rights and obligations. The first point we would like to highlight is that the ICJ case law refers not only to obligations ergonomics, but also to rights ergonomics. The ICJ's dictum in the Barcelona Traction case of 1970, dating now almost 50 years, is well known and it is indeed the first time the ICJ makes reference to obligations ergo omnes. 
in a dispute involving Belgium and Spain related to the protection of private foreign investment and the exercise of diplomatic protection, which emphasizes the obiter character of the ICJ's dictum, the court stated the following. An essential distinction should be drawn between the obligations of a state towards the international community as a whole and those arising vis-à-vis -vis another state in the field of diplomatic protection. By their very nature, the former are the concern of all states. In view of the importance of the rights involved, all states can be held to have a legal interest in their protection. They are obligations erga omnes. According to the ICJ in the Barcelona Traction, obligations erga omnes are thus those binding on states towards the international community as a whole. They are the concern of all states, and all states have a legal interest in their protection, given the importance of the rights involved. It has been said that this obiter dictum of the court was prompted by the criticism it had been subject to in the Southwest Africa cases of 1966, opposing Ethiopia and Liberia to South Africa, in view of the latter's non-fulfillment of the obligations deriving from the League of Nations mandate concerning Southwest Africa, where the court, in a second judgment, reversed its position and declined in a majority decision obtained with the casting vote of its president to exercise jurisdiction on the argument of the lack of locustandi and of Ethiopia and Liberia. The position taken by the court in the Barcelona Traction case would seem to indicate an extension of locustandi in case of violation of obligations erga omnes. Contrary to what is sometimes pointed out, however, in the East Timor case, Portugal did not argue its locus standi based on obligations ergo omnes. In the East Timor case, decided by the court in 1995, Portugal argued rather that the right of peoples to self-determination was a right ergo omnes. The position taken by Portugal was that the right of peoples to self-determination as a right ergo omnes generated an obligation of respect from all states as an objective or absolute right, regardless of the fact whether it's also generated an obligation ergo omnes of respect owed to the international community as a whole. Portugal argued that as determined by the United Nations, East Timor was a non-self-governing territory and Portugal was its administering power. It claimed the existence of a duty of non-disregard of the quality of a non-self-governing territory, which was part of a duty of respect to the rights of the people to whom the non-self-governing territory appertained. Such duty of all states to respect the right of peoples to self-determination resulted from the UN Charter, namely from Articles 1, Paragraph 2 and 73, and evolved to become customary international law enshrined among others, in General Assembly Resolution 2625 of 1970, containing the Declaration of Principles of International Law concerning friendly relations and cooperation among states. 
That declaration refers to the duty of every state to respect the right to self-determination, which was also echoed in the two human rights covenants of 1966. The ICJ, in its judgment in the East Timor case, acknowledged the right of peoples to self-determination was a right ergonomous. The court stated that, and I quote, Portugal maintains that the rights which Australia allegedly breached are rights ergonomous, and that, accordingly, Portugal could require it individually to respect them, regardless of whether or not another state had conducted itself in a similarly unlawful manner. In the court's view, Portugal's assertion that the right of peoples to self-determination as it evolved from the Charter and from United Nations practice as an ergo omnis character is irreproachable. The principle of self-determination of peoples has been recognized in the United Nations Charter and in the jurisprudence of the court. It is one of the essential principles of contemporary international law." Unquote. The court's statement refers to rights ergo omnis and not obligations, adding thus a new dimension to the ergo omnis concept. We will come back to this point after we refer to the remaining ICJ-relevant case law. In the 1996 judgment regarding the preliminary objections on the genocide case, Bosnia-Herzegovina versus Serbia and Montenegro, the ICJ referred both to rights and obligations ergo omnes, stating that the rights and obligations enshrined by the Genocide Convention are rights and obligations ergo omnes, and that the obligation each state thus has to prevent and to punish the crime of genocide is not territorially limited by the Convention. The Court refers both to obligations ergo omnes, the obligation to prevent and to punish the crime of genocide, and to rights ergo omnes, which relate to the right of the existence and not to be destroyed of groups protected by the Convention. Also in the advisory opinion of 2004 on the legal consequences of the construction of a wall in the occupied Palestinian territory, the ICJ refers both to rights and obligations ergo omnes, this time in separate paragraphs, and points out in a common paragraph the consequences of the breach of such rights and obligations. As to obligations ergo omnes owed to the international community as a whole, the Court states the following referring to the Barcelona Traction case. The Court would observe that the obligations violated by Israel include certain obligations ergo omnes. The obligations ergo omnes violated by Israel are the obligation to respect the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination and certain of its obligations under international humanitarian law. Concerning rights ergo omnes, the Court emphasized the following based on the East Timor judgment. As regards the right to self-determination, the court has already observed that in the East Timor case, it described as irreproachable 
the assertion that the right of peoples to self-determination has an ergonomous character. The court would also recall that under the terms of the General Assembly Resolution 2625, every state has the duty to promote, through joint and separate action, the realization of the principle of equal rights and self-determination of peoples in accordance with the provisions of the Charter and to render assistance to the United Nations in carrying out the responsibilities entrusted to it by the Charter regarding the implementation of the principle. And the ICJ concluded accordingly as to consequences that, and I quote again, given the character and the importance of the rights and obligations involved, all states are under an obligation not to recognize the illegal situation resulting from the construction of the wall in the occupied Palestinian territory, including in and around East Jerusalem. They are also under an obligation not to render aid or assistance in maintaining the situation created by such construction. It is also for all states, while respecting the United Nations Charter and the international law, to see that any impediment resulting from the construction of the wall to the exercise by the Palestinian people to its right to self-determination, it is brought to an end. In the armed activities case between the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Rwanda, the ICJ judgment of 2006 refers also both to rights and obligations ergonomous with regard to the condemnation of genocide. The court reaffirmed that the principles underlying the Genocide Convention are principles which are recognized by civilized nations as binding on states, even without any conventional obligation and that a consequence of that conception is the universal character both of the condemnation of genocide and of the cooperation required in order to liberate mankind from such an odious scorch. It follows that the rights and obligations enshrined by the Convention are rights and obligations erga omnes. So, in conclusion, the ICJ has clearly admitted that there exist in international law both obligations and rights ergo omnes. It is interesting to note that, with some minor exception, in academia and even in the context of the works of the International Law Commission, the rights dimension of the ergo omnes concept is often absent. Also, in the work of the Institut de Droit International that created the commission entitled Obligations and Rights Ergo Omnes in International Law, the title and the text of the resolution based on the work of that commission that was adopted in Krakow in the session of 2005 only refers to obligations and not to rights ergo omnes. What could be then the meaning of this difference? between obligations and rights ergo omnes. Obligations ergo omnes, as the court put it, are obligations owed to the international community as a whole, and therefore 
every state has a legal interest in their protection. White ergo omnes, on the other hand, seem to create a duty of all and every state to respect them. As the court admitted, there may be overlapping rights and obligations ergo omnes, such as those connected with the right to self-determination. However, the perspectives and consequences are different. Obligations ergo omnes generate an extended locus standi, a legal interest in their protection on the part of all states that compose the international community or the international community as a whole, or, in the case of obligations ergo omnes parties, an extended locus standi of all the parties to the relevant convention. The violation of rights ergo omnes generates differently an autonomous responsibility, even if the breach is committed together with another state, since each state is individually called to respect them. It is true that rights ergo omnes generate obligations omnium, that is, of all states, that can be at the same time obligations ergo omnes, i.e. towards the international community as a whole. But they can generate obligations just vis-à-vis -vis the order of the right ergo omnes and not to the international community as a whole. As we just discussed, the perspective and the consequences are different. In one case is a matter of enlarged legal interest in their protection. In the other, it is a matter of all states being individually responsible for the violation. The difference is well explained in the following passages of the descending opinion of Judge Viramantri in the East Timor case. An ergo omnes right is needless to say a series of separate rights ergo singulum, with the violation by any state of the obligation so lying upon it, the rights enjoyed ergo omnes become opposable ergo simulum to the state so acting. All the prior crises before the, this court raise the question of duties of ergo omnes. That aspect is present in this case as well, for every state has a duty to recognize self-determination. However, this case has stressed the obverse aspect of rights opposable ergo omnes, namely the right ergo omnes of the people of East Timor to the recognition of their self-determination and permanent sovereignty over their natural resources. The claim is based on the possibility of the right to Australia. The ICJ case law refers those to this dual perspective related to the ergo omnis concept, even if it separates it and distinguishes it from the question of its own jurisdiction and the need of respective state consent to it. We shall come back to this point later on. Let us move now to the second part of the lecture to see what are the interests protected by obligations and rights ergo omnes in the case law of the ICJ. The case law of the ICJ has identified in an evolutionary manner what are the interests or values protected by the obligations and rights ergo omnes. The ergo omnes concept applies to certain core principles of modern international law 
such as the prohibition of aggression and genocide, and the protection of the basic rights of the human person, including from slavery and racial discrimination. The case law of the ICJ has evolved to include also the rights to self-determination, certain international humanitarian law obligations, and the prohibition of torture, as we shall see in a moment. The first identification of the interests protected by the obligations ergo omnes appeared, of course, in the Barcelona Traction case, where the court stated that, and I quote, such obligations derive, for example, in contemporary international law from the outlying, outlying acts of aggression and of genocide, and also from the principles and rules concerning the basic rights of the human person, including the protection from slavery and racial discrimination. Because of the reference to contemporary international law, the court did not seem to be referring to a closed list. In fact, in the East Timor case, the court added to this list the right to self-determination. And, in the Wall Advisory opinion, the ICJ included additionally to self-determination a reference also to certain obligations under international humanitarian law, as obligations ergo omnes, but without any specification other than focusing on the international humanitarian law obligations concerning the protection of civilians. In the Belgium v. Senegal case, concerning questions related to obligation to prosecute an extradite, in the 2012 judgment, the ICJ added the prohibition of torture to the list of interests protected by obligations erga omnes. But it framed it as an obligation erga omnes partis, that is to say, applicable in the framework of the Convention Against Torture and among its states' parties. In this case, the ICJ said that the object and purpose of the Convention Against Torture is to make more effective the struggle against torture throughout the world. The states' parties to the Convention have a common interest to ensure, in view of their shared values, that acts of torture are prevented and that, if they occur, their authors do not enjoy impunity. That common interest implies that the obligations in question are owned by any state party to all the other state parties to the Convention. These obligations may be defined as obligations ergo omnes, partes, in the sense that each state party has an interest in compliance with them in any given case. The court further added that the common interest in the compliance with the relevant obligations under the Convention Against Torture implies the entitlement of each state party to the Convention to make a claim concerning the cessation of an alleged breach by another state party. If a special interest were required for that purpose, in many cases, no state would be in the position to make such a claim. 
It follows that any state party to the convention may invoke the responsibility of another state party with a view to ascertaining the alleged failure to comply with its obligations ergo omnes parties and to bring that failure to an end. In this case, the ICJ concluded that Belgium, as a state party to the Convention Against Torture, had a standing to invoke the responsibility of Senegal for the alleged breaches of its obligations under the Convention and that the claims of Belgium were admissible. As a consequence, there was no need for the court to pronounce on whether Belgium also had a special interest with respect to Senegal's compliance with the relevant provisions of the Convention in the case of Mr. Habre. In the codification of the law on straight responsibility in the draft articles adopted in 2001, the International Law Commission included all the interests identified in the case law of the ICJ that we have enumerated above. The ILC has added, however, out of its own initiative, another interest, which can be considered to be related to the protection of the environment in the collective interest. In paragraph 10 of the commentary to draft Article 48 of the Articles on State Responsibility the, of 2001, entitled Invocation of Responsibility by a State Other Than the Injured State, the ILC stated that, and I quote, similarly, individual states may be specially affected by the breach of such obligation, for example, a coastal state specially affected by pollution in breach of an obligation aimed at protection of the marine environment in the collective interests." Unquote. In its 2005 resolution on obligations ergo omnes, the Institut de droit international also refers in the preamble to the obligations relating to the environment of common spaces as examples of obligations reflecting fundamental values, and thus ergo omnis. Although this has not yet taken place, it should not be excluded that the ergo omnis concept could be used by the court with regard to other fundamental principles of modern international law that exist or are developing, such as, for instance, relating to the protection of the environment Although the court did not take a position on this in its case law so far, such has been invoked in cases related to the issue of nuclear tests and nuclear arms race and disarmament, which can be said that even if indirectly referred to the collective interest related to the protection of the environment. In the nuclear tests case involving Australia, New Zealand, and France, the applicants based their locus standi on the basis of the violation of obligations ergo omnis. But the court did not make a pronouncement on this issue in its judgment of 1974. In the more recent cases related to obligations concerning negotiations relating to cessation 
of the nuclear arms race and to nuclear disarmament, the three parallel cases opposing the Marshall Islands to the United Kingdom, India, and Pakistan, the court, in its judgment of 2006, dismissed the case without addressing the issue, but the Marshall Islands had also based its loco standi explicitly on the violation of obligations erga omnes. Let us now move to the third part of the lecture to consider what are the implications of the erga omnes concept as set out by the court with regard to its own jurisdiction. At the outset, it has to be emphasized that the court has taken a very cautious approach to this matter, distinguishing carefully in the contentious proceedings where the matter came up between the erga omnis character of these obligations and rights and the rules it has to observe concerning its own jurisdiction. This was initially made very clear in the East Timor case, where the court stated that the court considers that the ergo omnis character of a norm and the rule of consent to jurisdiction are two different things. Whatever the nature of the obligations invoked, the court could not rule on the lawfulness of the conduct of a state when its judgment would imply an evaluation of the lawfulness of the conduct of another state, which is not a party to the case. Where this is so, the court cannot act, even if the right in question is a right ergo omnis. The ICJ strengthened this argument by referring to the monetary gold jurisprudence regarding the absence of an indispensable third party in the following matter. In this case, the effects of the judgment requested by Portugal would amount to a determination that Indonesia's entry into and continued presence in East Timor are unlawful. Indonesia's rights and obligations would thus constitute the very subject matter of such a judgment, made in the absence of that state's consent. Such a judgment would run directly counter to the well-established principle of international law embodied in the court statute, namely, that the court can only exercise jurisdiction over a state with its consent. The distinction between ergo omnis and the consent to jurisdiction was further emphasized in the 2006 armed activities case between the DRC and Rwanda that refer back to the East Timor case. In this case, the court observed again that the ergo omnis character of a norm and the rule of consent to jurisdiction are two different things, and that the mere fact that rights and obligations ergo omnis may be at issue in a dispute would not give the court jurisdiction to entertain that dispute. Also, in the second genocide case, Croatia versus Serbia, the court referred the following in its judgment of 2015. The fact that the jurisdiction of the court in the present proceedings can be founded only upon Article 9 has important implications for the scope of that jurisdiction. Article 9 
confines the court to disputes regarding genocide. The court thus has no power to rule on alleged breaches of other obligations under international law, not amounting to genocide, particularly those protecting human rights in armed conflict. That is so even if the alleged breaches are obligations under peremptory norms or of obligations which protect the essential humanitarian values and which may be owed erga omnis. But in this case, the court also stated the following. The absence of a court or a tribunal with jurisdiction to resolve disputes about the compliance with a particular obligation under international law does not affect the existence and the binding force of that obligation. States are required to fulfill their obligations under international law, including international humanitarian law and international human rights law, and they remain responsible for acts contrary to international law which are attributable to them. In the three parallel cases opposing the Marshall Islands to the United Kingdom, India and Pakistan, relating to the obligations concerning negotiations relating to the cessation of the nuclear arms race and to nuclear disarmament, the court considered that there was no dispute between the parties given the lack of evidence about an opposition of views and therefore it had no jurisdiction to entertain the case under the statute. The court nevertheless made the following important statement. The court notes that the Marshall Islands, by virtue of the suffering which its people endured as a result of it being used as a site for extensive nuclear testing programs, has special reasons for concern about nuclear disarmament. But that fact does not remove the need to establish the conditions for the court's jurisdiction. Are met. As we come to the last part of the lecture, and to summarize, what are thus some of the conclusions that can be drawn on the current state of play regarding the case law of the ICJ on the issue of obligations and rights erga omnis? The first conclusion is that the erga omnis concept applies to certain core principles of modern international law such as the prohibition of aggression and genocide and the protection of the basic rights of the human person, including from slavery and racial discrimination. The case law of the ICJ has evolved to also include the right to self-determination, certain international humanitarian law obligations, and the prohibition of torture. And it could possibly develop in the future to encompass also other areas of international law that relate to the protection of important and increasingly recognized interests for the international community as a whole, such as the protection of the environment. The second conclusion is that with regard to such principles, there is no special interest needed for law standing before the ICJ because the obligation of respect is ergo omnis and owed to the international community as a whole, 
and thus every state has a legal interest in their protection. At the same time, there's, there is an individual duty of all states to promote and to respect such rights in case they generate rights erga omnes. The third conclusion is, however, that the ICJ has always emphasized in the contentious proceedings the need for consent to jurisdiction based on the statute and the consent of the parties. That is to say that the erga omnes character of obligations and rights do not give jurisdiction to the court on its own and the strict rules on jurisdiction and consent under the statute are always applicable. In this regard, and having in mind the precedent related to the wall advisory opinion, resort to advisory opinions concerning the consequences of the violations of rights and obligations ergo omnis could perhaps be further explored as an alternative avenue to contentious proceedings, provided, of course, that the conditions for a request for an advisory opinion are met. The fourth and last conclusion is that, nevertheless, the court has also emphasized that the absence of a court or a tribunal with jurisdiction does not affect the existence and the binding force of the obligations, and that states are, therefore, in any event, required to fulfill their obligations under international law and remain responsible for acts contrary to international law that are attributable to them. I thank you for your kind attention.